Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to listen to part two of the sermon by the late Reverend Bob Owens, shining a light on the ministry of shepherding. If you've not listened to the previous episode, let me encourage you to do so as we explain first uh, why we're including Pastor Owens' sermon, but also you'll get to hear part one. Pastor Owens uh, passed away recently, and we at PeaceWorks wanted to take some time to just remember him uh, and his legacy and thank God for the work uh, that he was called to and he faithfully engaged in. Uh, we've appreciated uh, Pastor Bob over these years and have a friendship with his daughter, Julie, who is both a survivor and advocate. Uh, again, our condolences go out to the Owens family and to everyone who loved and was loved by Pastor Bob. Please enjoy uh, part two of this wonderful sermon uh, from Pastor Bob Owens. Pastor shepherds, when they ever offer marriage counseling, finally offering marriage counseling when it seems appropriate for both victims and their abusers, they should focus on these biblical passages that teach mutual submission and gender equality and that teach that love is not selfish. Love does not insist on its own way. Love does not dominate. Love does not subjugate. Love does not humiliate. Love is other person-centered. Love is not just a feeling, an emotion. Love is how we treat each other. In his letter to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, assuming they're both in Christ. But then he reminds us that we are all joint heirs with Christ, equals, with equal rights, equal privileges, and equal responsibilities. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. This emphasis on gender equality should never be overlooked, and it should always be shared by pastors without any apology and without any embarrassment to any man. Sadly, and this is so often true in evangelical circles, there is an almost complete disregard for those passages and those biblical principles, proclaiming gender equality, calling for mutual submission, and emphasizing the sanctity 
of marriage and the sanctity of life. There's absolutely no biblical justification whatever for domination and for subjugation. Some pastors want to preserve a marriage at all costs. Prevent a divorce. Avoid a scandal in the congregation. How many times have you heard a pastor quote Malachi, God hates divorce? But that same verse says that God hates covering violence. Hiding it. Refusing to talk about it. God hates abuse more than he hates divorce. The ill treatment of people created in the image of God, the ill treatment of victims by even leaders in their own faith communities, even some pastors, as well as deacons and elders and others in positions of leadership in the church, such abuse by those who bear the name of Christ has caused many abused women who are believers to ask some very penetrating and very disturbing questions. If I cannot go to my own church with my problems and find understanding and support, where can I go? Where else can I find a place of security? Where else can I find a place of safety in order to be healed? If I cannot trust my own pastor to be a caring and comforting advocate, who can I trust? Where's God? Why doesn't God intervene to help me? Is God going to allow me to be destroyed? Doesn't God care? Hasn't God offered to protect his children from harm? I had trusted God to be my defender. I had trusted God to be my protector. I had trusted God to be my refuge and my strength and my hiding place. But he has not been there for me. What has happened to God? I am confused. That's what Jessica said time and time again. Spiritually troubled, physically exhausted, emotionally drained. I'm in great distress. Is there nothing God can do to help me? Those questions are asked because we haven't been there. Sometimes the most Effective ministry we can offer is just the ministry of presence, just to be there. Is it really possible that God wants me to remain in an abusive relationship? Is that God's will for me? These are the kind of questions that victims ask when they're believers, women of faith, it's a spiritual struggle, a spiritual dilemma. And there are no easy answers to these kind of questions. 
And as pastors, we should never give quick and easy canned answers. We need to pray for wisdom. God says if you need wisdom, ask for it. And that's wisdom from above, and it will be given to you. I'm praying for the day to come when pastors will stop misusing Scripture. Stop abusing Scripture to abuse victims. Permit me to give you just a few examples. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. If anyone strikes you on the one cheek, turn to him the other also. Let those who suffer according to the will of God do right and entrust their soul to a faithful creator. Present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Never avenge yourselves. Even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you're blessed. Do not repay evil for evil, abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing. Oh, that passage says, practice this principle of blessing, yes, that you may inherit a blessing. But uh, Peter is speaking directly to husbands in that passage, speaking directly to men. Live considerately with your wife, bestowing honor on her as the weaker sex. That means physically you are to protect her, you are to guard her, you are to defend her, lest your own prayers be hindered. And then another verse, of course, that's always used and misused. What God has joined together, let not man put us under. The wife does not rule over her own body, but her husband does. Well, those are just a few examples. And it's not difficult to see how such Bible verses have been taken completely out of their context and tragically misinterpreted to encourage Christian women to remain in abusive relationships and also to excuse and forgive their abusers. Furthermore, because of the way these and similar passages are often interpreted by some pastors and respected Christian teachers, many men who bear the name of Christ have actually been led to believe that they have the God-given right to control, to dominate, and to even batter their wives. I attended a family life conference in Dallas, Texas, where this patriarchal, hierarchical view of marriage was presented by a very prominent pastor in the South, pastor of one of the leading churches in one of our large southern cities. He happened to be a Presbyterian pastor, as I am. And after his presentation on submission, subjection to your husband as to the Lord, a woman stood up in the congregation and said, well, what if your husband is an abuser? What if he has beaten you? 
Oh, this was a wake-up call for me. He said, go back and take another beating. Well, we would like to believe that that kind of advice is rare, but unfortunately, it is not. It had never occurred to me as a pastor shepherd that abuse could ever invade our own home, our own family. There was no history of violence on either side of our family. Like most people who have never experienced violence in their family life, I had assumed that this was a problem for those who lived in dysfunctional families or those involved in multiple relationships or extramarital affairs, people who were outside the orbit of the Christian community. But I now look back after all of these years of experience with this issue and I ask myself, how could I possibly have been so uninformed? As an educated pastor, a seminary graduate, a pastor for so many years, why had I never given any serious consideration to this social and spiritual problem? Was it because I had been wearing blinders for so long? Was it because so, a few, so few abused women had ever come to me for counseling? Was it because I had assumed there were no victims of domestic violence in the churches that I served or among my personal friends and acquaintances in the church? Like so many people in polite society, like so many educated and professional persons, I believe I had assumed that only poor, ignorant, uneducated, immoral, irresponsible, and irreligious people were guilty of such violent acts. Regardless of the possible explanations that now come to my mind, just like my daughter, Julie, I've been asking myself for years, how could I have been so wrong? How could I have been so blind? How could I have been so deceived? I now know, having worked with many victims and their perpetrators, I have discovered that there are indeed abused women and there are abusers in every church of any size. Most of them are hiding. I have identified them. Others have identified them to me. And I have been confronted. I have been confrontational also. And I tell you that they have been exposed. Counselors, educators, elders, deacons, lawyers, physicians, bankers, highly successful businessmen, leaders in the community, very respected people. Let me give you an example. Looking at this man, you would have said what a fine example he is of an outstanding citizen. Married to a wonderful woman from one of the best families in the community. Married for 11 years. The father of two beautiful daughters. An honor graduate of two of the finest universities. A very successful psychologist. 
an elder in his church, actively involved in numerous projects for the common good, serving on several boards and agencies. Suffice it to say, a respected man, someone who was seen as an honorable man, a good man, but he was an abuser. He had done many good things, but he was not a good man. Nothing he had done could have made him a good man. Good men do not abuse their wives. Good men, godly men, do not abuse their girlfriends. And after learning of his abuse of his wife, I learned of it through a nurse who was a member of our church who worked in the emergency room at one of the local hospitals. After learning of his abuse of his wife, I discovered that there were other men who were colleagues of his, who were friends of his, who knew about the abuse, but they had never told anyone because of the old buddy system that's out there. It exists in professional circles, you know. It exists in the church. It exists among people who are serving in a variety of vocations, physicians, psychologists, attorneys, law enforcement officers, all professional groups in our society, including the clergy. <clears throat> there are abusers there, and someone needs to be confrontational, especially their pastors. Oh, I know we want to avoid conflict, and we certainly do not want to be an apostle of discord in the church, but someone in the church has to do it. And every church, like every other organization in our society, tends to take on the lifestyle of its leadership. Too many contemporary churches, I might add, are clergy-dominated. Too many pastors are willing to delegate responsibility, especially for tasks that they do not find personally satisfying, like caregiving and shepherding. And I do want to say that when it comes to this ministry, all members of the body of Christ are called to do this work of ministry on the authority of God's word. But pastors need to model it. And then they need to equip the members of the church to be loving and caring under shepherds. According to the New Testament, this is how the body of Christ is supposed to function. Look at all of those one another passages in the New Testament. This is how the body of Christ does function when it is functioning properly. The Apostle Paul makes this very clear in his Corinthian correspondence, 
and also in other letters that he wrote, especially his letter to the Romans and his letter to the Ephesians. Paul says if one member of the body hurts, all members of the body should hurt. If one member of the body suffers, all members of the body should suffer. The hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. Uh, the eye cannot say to the ear, I don't need you. The member of the body of Christ that we think we need least, the least of these, is probably the member we need most. Mark it down. And that certainly applies to victims. That certainly applies to those sheep who have been wounded, who have been attacked. Jesus called himself the good shepherd. He said, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. I know them by name. Do you know your sheep? Do you really know them? Do they know you? Do you know their hurts? Do you know their struggles? Have you heard their story? I pray for the day when a sufficient number of pastors and churches are passionately committed to this objective, developing a plan for congregational transformation that will include as a priority the ministry of caregiving. But that will require a lot more than just restructuring and redevelopment. It will require a dismantling of the scaffolding that Old Testament patriarchal ideologies have constructed over such New Testament concepts as described by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians where there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female, but we are all one in Christ. Where all old structures of domination have no place in the body of Christ. Just as Jesus said, you know that the rulers, that is the leaders of the Gentiles, lord it over one another but it shall not be so among you. There is no place for that over and under mentality in Christian marriage, and there's no place for that over and under mentality in the body of Christ either. We need to hear the warning of our Lord when he says, I will require my sheep at their hand, and I will put a stop to their feeding of the sheep. I will rescue my sheep. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will save my flock. They shall no longer be a prey so that they may dwell in safety. Ezekiel 34. How many pastors today are actually endangering the lives of the sheep entrusted to their care by failing to be the kind of shepherds that the sheep need, not just to feed them, but to tend them tenderly 
and lovingly. This shepherding metaphor, I submit to you, is the metaphor for ministry that we desperately need to rediscover today in the body of Christ. Just as the shepherd must be alert at all times to any threat, to any danger that may be lurking in the darkness, there is another biblical metaphor that we need to remember. The watchman to dramatize the shepherd's role, the pastor's role, and accountability. If the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes the life of any of them, I will hold the watchman accountable. Their blood I will require at the watchman's hand. I close with this prayer of safety, prayer for safety, really. Uh, Psalm 142. I do not know uh, the circumstances of the psalmist, but it sounds like the cry of a victim to me. I cry out to the Lord. I pray to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my problems to the Lord. I tell the Lord my troubles. When I am afraid, you, O Lord, know the way out. In the path where I walk, a trap is hidden for me. Look around me and see. No one really cares about me. I have no place of safety. No one cares if I live. Lord, I cry out to you. I say you are my protection. You're the one I want in this life. Listen to my cry. Because I am helpless, powerless. Save me from those who are chasing me. Because they're too strong for me. Free me from my prison. And then I will praise your name. Then good people, good people will surround me. Because you care for me. Jesus said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Are you listening? Are you really listening? There is such a thing as selective deafness, you know. <laughs>